Welcome to the Knox Podcast, featuring a sermon from the Knox Evangelical Presbyterian Church in Kenmore, New York. For more information about Knox Church, visit our website at knoxepc.com or email us at office at knoxepc.com. To request prayer, send an email to pastor at knoxepc.com. If you'll open your Bibles with me today, we're taking a break from James. You can breathe easy for a week. As we look at Psalm 119, verses 105 through 112, located on page 601. I'll give you a minute to find that. In your pew Bibles. You'll recall Psalm 119 is, of course, the longest chapter in the Bible. So be grateful I'm not reading the whole thing. But let's rise, let's, let's read together Psalm 119, 105 through 112. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it that I will follow your righteous laws. I've suffered much. Preserve my life, Lord, according to your word. Accept, Lord, the willing praise of my mouth. Teach me your laws. Though I consistently take my life in my hands, I will not forget your law. The wicked have set a snare for me, but I have not strayed from your precepts. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees until the very end. This is a word of God proclaimed to you. Take it, receive it as such. Please have a seat. You may or may not know this, but the church you're sitting in today wasn't always named Knox Church. In fact, when it was originally founded, this was called Kenmore United Presbyterian Church. That was a mouthful. So, I mean, maybe we can understand why in 1968, the church decided to get together and rebrand. And to come up with a new name, they decided to rebrand under the name of Scottish Reformer John Knox. We even have, if you've, you've come in and come out through the Welcome Center n- numerous times, no doubt, we have in the Welcome Center a stained glass portrait of John Knox. Maybe on your way out today, you'll notice that over to your right there. Well, as Protestant churches worldwide celebrate Reformation Day today, I thought it might be appropriate to talk about who John Knox is. You might go, oh, okay, we've been coming to this church for so long, I don't have a clue who this man is and why we as a church decided to bear his name. Well, when the Reformation started back in the 1500s, I won't go into all of the history, it's very fascinating, but the Reformation could not have come at a better time for the country of Scotland. Scotland in particular was absolutely floundering in sin at the time, and one of the big reasons for that was that the church, the moral center of the country, was corrupt through and through. It was amoral. It was all about abuses and power. For example, one of the archbishops, one of the head honchos of the country, a man named David Beaton, he was sworn to celibacy, as all priests were back then, and he is rumored to have fathered no less than 14 children. That's the kind of moral integrity the church had at that time. 
Most of the bishops back then were appointed their positions not because of their theological training or their great work in the church. They were appointed their positions because of political connections. So if you knew the right people, you get appointed to be a bishop. And everybody wanted to be a bishop. That was the top of the ladder right there because the church owned a lot of real estate back in the 1500s. And so all of the bishops were very, very wealthy men. So instead of having clergy who are in this position for reaching out to lost souls, for ministering to people, for humbly bringing the gospel to them, you had people who were in it for power and money. You can see why this chain, this circle of abuse would continue. Now that's not to say that everybody in Scotland had sold out on the gospel. There was, there was a lot of men and women who when the Reformation started to blaze across Europe, they stood up for their faith. Men such as Thomas Fort and Patrick Hamilton, they stood up for the truth of Scripture and more often than not were killed for what they believed. But if you were to go around Scotland in the 1500s, you were trying to identify who were the future leaders of the Reformation, I guarantee you that you have skipped right over John Knox. He was really nobody of great consequence when he was growing up. He, he came from a, a normal family, but no, nothing special. He wasn't that notable of a person in his early life. In fact, his first job was that of a Latin teacher. He taught Latin for almost a decade uh, be, before he decided that that wasn't the job for him. And so he thought, well, where do Latin teachers go from here? What's, what's the next step in your career? Well, naturally, right, it's becoming a bodyguard, which is what he did. And as all Scottish men tend to do, he grabbed a two-handed sword and decided he would become the bodyguard of a former George Wishard. And the benefit of that is a bodyguard has to spend a lot of time with his, his client. And so he would go around with George Wishard with this giant hulking sword, this claymore on his back, and he would listen to George Wishard's sermons. And in these sermons, John Knox started to get exposed to the teachings, the doctrines of the Reformed faith. These things that we take for granted today were revolutionary back then. When people would go to church, they would hear the, the priests read the Bible in Latin. Nobody knew Latin. They'd be reading the Bible, and they'd give a, a soulless uh, expository on the Scripture, and they weren't allowed to sing. They were just there to give money and, and do penance, and that was about it. So when John Knox would hear these sermons of George Wishart, it awoken something in his heart. And so... Eventually, John Knox said, I want to start preaching too. And he started to take on some additional responsibilities and moved in the direction of becoming a priest himself. And in fact, soon enough, John Knox's own preaching style eclipsed George Wishart's. He was a better preacher by far. People were, were amazed at his conviction and his daring when he got up to the pulpit. Well, in his early middle age, John Knox said, well, enough of this bodyguard thing. I'm going to take up a position of being a chaplain. And so he went and became the chaplain at St. Andrew's Castle. Turned out not to be a great posting because that castle, no less than two times, fell under siege 
by French forces. The French ships came up to the castle. And the second time, they stormed the castle and they captured John Knox. And John Knox, for the next year and a half, became a galley slave on a French ship. So let's, let's recap right here. This is his career trajectory. Latin teacher to bodyguard to chaplain to galley slave. That's, that's an impressive resume. Well, after he, he had a stint as a slave, built up some nice muscles there, John Knox was then exiled to England. And he got a great posting at this point. He got to become the chaplain of King Edward VI. And so at that time, he had the king's ear, and he would preach to the king and the people, and he had his fingers in a lot of projects for the Reformation, including reforming the Book of Common Prayer. This is one of his great legacies that he left to the church. During that time, he also married his wife, Marjorie Bowes. Well, he became, in his sermons, increasingly insistent, telling the people that the church needed to get away from all of the gaudy traditions, all these traditions that had built up like barnacles on a ship. We needed to scrape them off. We needed to get back to the core of what Scripture taught, the core of what Je how Jesus Christ wanted us to worship. He said we need to worship the way the Bible tells us to worship, not the way man has since told us that we should worship. Like many other reformers, John Knox stood on the foundation of what we call sola scriptura, and we just read that, saying that Holy Scripture alone is the highest authority. This flew in direct contrast to the Catholic Church that said there was Scripture and there was Catholic tradition. What, those were equal. So what the church had developed as tradition and as teachings was equal to doctrine of Scripture. And you can see the problem of that. John Knox and the Reformers said, no, only Scripture. Everything else is subservient to that. John Knox once said that the Scriptures of God are my foundation and the substance in all manner of matters of weight and importance in my life. Have we ever said that? The Scriptures of God are the only foundation and substance in all matters of weight and importance in my life. His life was guided by the precepts of Psalm 119, which we just read, that said, Your word is a lamp to my feet, a light to my path. I've taken an oath and confirmed it, that I will follow your righteous laws. Your statutes are my heritage forever. They are the joy of my heart. My heart is set on keeping your decrees to the very end. Well, the safe and nurturing season for Knox here in England ended in 1553. And that is when King Edward VI passed away. Not only was that a heavy blow as a chaplain to the king, but it was doubly so because in his, the king's place rose Queen Mary of Tudor. And she was very, very, very Catholic. And when she rose to the throne, suddenly it was open season on hunting down reformers in England. And many people fled, including John Knox. He fled all the way to the mainland, to the European continent. And there he spent some time in the company of fellow reformer John Calvin. He spent some time learning and ministering alongside of John Calvin. He was deeply impressed with the church that Calvin had established there at Geneva. And he said that Calvin was a brother laboring energetically for the faith. And during this time, Knox also became 
a pastor in the area, and he and Calvin would get together regularly, and Knox learned a lot from Calvin. He solidified a lot of his Reformed doctrines, his teachings of what this movement was about. But also, more importantly, John Calvin taught him a very important new form of church government that was all the rage. It's called Presbyterianism. And so all was well there, and Knox kept preaching until about 1558 when he started to get very urgent letters from Scottish Protestants. And all these Scottish Protestants were sending him letters saying, John Knox, you need to come home. And what was happening in the country at the time is that the, the Queen Mary, and a different Mary, that we call her Mary, Queen of Scots, had come into the throne there in Scotland, and she was about ready to be wed to the Dauphin of France. And because this French man was very Catholic, they knew, the Scottish reformers knew, that this marriage was going to solidify Catholicism in Scotland. And they, they said, that can't happen without a countering force. John Knox, come home and be that countering force. Well, you might think it was odd for them to appeal to Knox. Because really, if you looked at him at the time, he didn't look or sound like a national leader. By then, he was starting to get older. He was starting to get more frail. He was rather thin, a th thin, frail man. And that didn't give him a great physical presence. And even John Knox would be the first to tell you of his own shortcomings. He told everybody this. He, he very, very humble man. He would tell his friends, I quake and I fear and I tremble. He knew how weak he was. And he, he acknowledged his shortcomings as both a man and a preacher. But of course, we know that Paul said in 1 Corinthians that God chose the foolish things in the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And John Knox said, well, I'm weak. God might as well use me. Each of the reformers, as men and women by themselves, knew that they were weak, that by themselves they could not stand up to the Catholic Church, this institution that had been growing in a place and it was, had such power and authority and wielded men with swords and had so much money. They couldn't on their own stand up to the church without God. But once they were with God, they were mighty. So Knox knew that it wasn't about him. He knew that it wasn't about him alone. He, he would humbly state that I ne sought neither preeminence nor glory nor riches. I only sought the honor that Jesus Christ should reign. It wasn't about him. It wasn't about He didn't get those letters from all the Scots going, well, this is my moment. This is my time. I'm going to go back home and make a name for myself. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to seize my opportunity there. Bottom line for him, Knox says it was always about the glory of Christ. It's always about him. And that's why he said yes to that call to come home. So he traveled back to Scotland in the 1550s, and he took up the mantle of the leader of the Reformation movement in Scotland. And finally, having matured in his own understanding of the doctrines of the Reformation and of church structure, he stirred up an amazing revival in Scotland. Men and women coming to faith in droves and starting to attend church. And there he also established 
the Scottish Presbyterian Church. And as he did so, every Sunday, Knox would hold up the, the gospel to the people. He said, you must not compromise on the authority and the teaching of the word. We can't step back from this. We have to be all in. Now, again, we think that's an easy position to take. We preach it every Sunday here. We sing about this every week. But back then, it was not. That for somebody to say this was to pit themselves right against the powerful Catholic Church about an institution. And it wasn't just about their reputation on the line. It's often their lives and their property and their, rep- and their future. Well, for John Knox, he knew that preaching this, that taking up this leadership role in the country meant that he would be in direct opposition of Mary, Queen of Scots, and all of the ceremonies and traditions and heretical doctrines that had cropped up in the Catholic Church. In fact, Knox and Mary became rather cantankerous rivals over time, and Knox would preach against her from the pulpit. It's it pretty interesting. He was called into her presence five times. Mary said, I want to meet with this man. And John Knox was summoned to meet with her five times. And again, imagine that you're just a pastor and you're called to meet with the sovereign head of the country who can order your execution or imprisonment based on will and whim. And they had it out five times over manners of theology and governance. And through the grace of God, John Knox stood firm against the crown And five out of five times, he emerged from those confrontations, the clear victor. Now, it would be remiss of me if you study history and go, well, we tend to sweep some of the less than savory things under the rug. I'm I'm not one to do that. People aren't perfect. John Knox was not a perfect man. He was somewhat of a rabble rouser. If you look at his history, he was all for violent revolution, which I don't think is really appropriate for a pastor to be advocating. He also had a very severe problem with women who had any sort of authority. Um, but I think when we look at the lives of, of saved sinners, such as ourselves and any, any men and women of faith, we can say, well, they were, they were faulty, yet God used them anyways. They were weak, and God overcame that. John Knox, however, did rise to become a great leader one whom his biographer would call the Moses of the Scots, their Amos, their Isaiah, and also their Washington and their Jefferson, all rolled into one. That's how much John Knox meant to their countrymen. The church then that had been so corrupt in his youth, by the time he was nearing his very last days, had become reformed in the country and had calmed down considerably by 1560. The people were now able to read for the first time a Bible in their own language. They were able to sing songs in their own language from books that were printed for them. The communion, the corporate communion was restored where people could celebrate communion together. They had started to get rid of abuses in the church. There was oversight and accountability of the clergy. The church had come back to Christ. Well, by 1560, there was a new Protestant queen in England, so power changed. It was always whoever was in power was favoring their side. So now a Protestant queen was favoring the Reformation, and so 
the Catholic Mass finally ended in Scotland. And the people voted as one to overthrow and say we're no longer under the Pope's authority in our country. And so the newfound Presbyterian Church was given a lot of room to flourish without direct opposition. Scottish diplomat James Melville came to hear John Knox preach in 1571. And I like this little story he shared. He said, I got there, I was going to take notes for this message. But when John Knox got up to preach, Melville found himself having such an emotional reaction that his hand was shaking so badly that he couldn't even take notes during the sermon. And later Melville said, John Knox wielded this power in bodily weakness. For that man had to be helped into the church. People had to lift him up into the pulpit. He leaned on it heavily during the first part of the service. But when he got to the exposition of the word, he stood up and he was so active and so vigorous as to beat the pulpit to pieces and fly out of it. That's the kind of preacher John Knox was. One year later in 1572, John Knox had a stroke and it would prove to be fatal. He lay on his deathbed and his wife Marjorie was faithful and she sat next to him and he said, Dear, please read to me from where I first cast my anchor in the faith, where it all began for me and where it began for John Knox was John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus Christ poured out for all believers. And so Marjorie read to him the words of Christ, where Jesus said, My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. And after hearing those words, John Knox gave his final prayer. And he prayed to God fervently and passionately that God would raise up men to come, great preachers to come and fill the pulpits of the church, to feed the sheep. And then he passed away to be with his Lord. Well, today, if you are to go to Scotland and you're there to look for John Knox's burial ground, you'll find it's underneath a parking lot. That's where it is. In fact, he's not nearly as remembered as Calvin or Luther, especially in his home country, I was told there's only one statue of John Knox in all of Scotland. Yet this man left behind a legacy that burns brightly as the Presbyterian church spread throughout the entire world. Tens of millions of Christians would worship under its umbrella, including us here at Knox. And John Knox's final prayer was answered, and God was faithful to bring people into the pulpit to passionately preach the authority of Scripture. John Knox's epitaph reads, Here lies one who feared God more than he feared the face of man. Don't you like that? Wouldn't that be great if that was our epitaph? That they feared God more than they feared the face of man. There's nothing that John Knox was worried about more than he was worried about honoring and following his Lord and his Savior. So let's, uh, let us thank God today on Reformation Day for sending his Spirit 
into the lives of reformers such as John Knox and sparking this revolution that we are still benefiting from in such great ways today as we open up our Bibles, as we worship freely, as we hear the word proclaimed, and as we sing to him. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, may we never for a single moment take your Holy Scripture for granted or the fact that we can read it, that we can share it in our own homes, that we can teach our kids, that we can encourage each other. Lord, if it wasn't for whole men and women of faith who you work through to bring us these teachings in the Bible. We want to thank you for that today. May we never take lightly this gift of the Holy Scripture and how you've worked through it in our lives to reform us, to bring us back to you and make us pure and beautiful as the church is your bride. Lord, we thank you for all that and so much more in your name. Amen. To reach out to Pastor Justin, email him at pastor at knoxepc.com. Our mailing address is Knox Church, 2595 Elmwood Avenue, Kenmore, New York, 14217. Join us for worship Sundays at 1030 a.m. either at Knox Church or on our live stream at facebook.com forward slash Knox EPC. Past sermons can be found at knoxepc.com forward slash sermons. Thank you for listening.